when all the world is quiet, someone came and took her lover's life. The most schoolish of greetings to every single one of you. The tunes that just went through the old eardrums is courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey. And I'm, of course, your host, Tessa Morrow. As a child, I spent a good amount of time at a Mineral Springs resort my family owned many moons ago. At nighttime, when the pools and everything was closed to the public, my siblings... My cousins and myself, we would go and soak in the hot, healing waters. We'd go into the iron pool or arsenic pool, which had no roof. The hillside of the mountain was in front of us. Nothing but skies filled with stars and planets. And objects our young eyes just could simply not comprehend. Things that we had never seen before. I remember many nights just soaking in the waters and staring up in the skies, soaking in the waters and staring up in the skies. And I swear, sometimes we saw things that we could just simply not explain. That was before I was terrified of aliens and what have you. Back then, I was just more curious and fascinated, if anything. I remember one time my mom took us to Roswell, New Mexico, and it was awesome. Everything alien themed. I still have an alien sucker somewhere around here. Probably doesn't taste too good as it was over at least 15 years ago. (laughs) My fascination would soon turn into pure horror and fear. While on a desolate road in New Mexico, nothing around us, no city lights or life, or really not even other cars, actually. No houses, no people, nothing. I mean, this was truly a desolate road. You see in the scary movies where there's like nothing around, that's what it was. This thing comes out of nowhere. And even though this happened more than 20 years ago, I still get chills and scared even just thinking about it, about what could have happened. What would have happened if my mom pulled that car over? My two sisters, Casey and Jenna, my mom, Kimana, and myself encountered something that night that will stay with us forever. This bright light in the sky, and I mean, it was brighter than any planet I'd ever seen before. Suddenly, several bright lights surround the brightest of lights, and they start moving away from the middle light, making it very large in appearance, and then closing in on it, making it smaller. And it would go far up in the sky and then really close to the car. And each time this would happen, it would we would scream. My mom admits that she knew this thing was trying to get her to pull over, but (laughs) the mother bear in her said, hell no. 
you're not touching my children. Then several miles later, further into the mountains, even more alone and desolate, we hadn't seen the mysterious unidentified flying object for quite some miles, several miles actually. We start to relax, breathe again, like, huh, that was weird. When suddenly it comes back very close to the car. My mom shares that she just remembers us all screaming in the car and just how helpless she really felt. So that's why I'm scared of these things. I know they exist. I'm not afraid of them because of movies like Mars Attacks or something, but I know they're out there. I have friends, most of them in New Mexico, who've encountered things from the sky as well. And in my experience, I saw terror and what I believe to be aggression. My guest is a gentleman named Andy, who is from gorgeous Glasgow, Scotland. He now lives in England. Since he was a young child, Andy has had a keen interest in all things alien and UFO related. It started at a young age for him as he had a fascination for the Loch Ness Monster. And after a UFO sighting, his passion has changed and he's had his eye on the field ever since. We are about to hear about a couple experiences Andy has gone through. Andy, an extraterrestrial welcome to Paranormal Prowlers podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me this week. No, I think I've got to thank you. Give me an opportunity to have a bit of a chat um, on your show. So no, thank you very much. Oh, pleasure is all mine. Happy to have you here. I know it's like with this lockdown going on, it's nice and refreshing to talk to other people in the outside world. <laughs> yeah, this is about as close as we get. We're well, we're not quite two meters. It's a couple of thousand miles, but uh, I think this is safe. So yeah, I think I think we're good. I think that's enough distancing, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, social distancing, internet distancing, whatever you want to call it. We're we're, we're doing what we're told at least. Uh, Right. Absolutely. Now, you know, Andy, growing up in Glasgow, and did I say that right, Glasgow? I butcher names and words all the time. No, you, you say it like most Americans normally say it before they're corrected. So it's it's Glasgow. So you kind of forget the W at the end, and it's like got two words, Glasgow, but it was close enough. Okay, no, that's good to know. It's I, I like to know how to say words. Sometimes they're like, no. You butchered it. That's not how you say it at all. So (laughs) growing up in Glasgow, were you told stories and tells and myths about Loch Ness? Uh, Yeah, um, particularly from my gran. I think when when you're in Scotland, it's such a small country. There's there's a lot of things it's famous for, but when it comes to kind of myth and mysteries, there's a lot that goes back to to kind of ancient Rome and whatnot, and before that, like the Celtics, and um, Loch Ness was something I was interested in from being quite a young kid. My grand, whenever we went on bus trips into the local town or the the big city, we would go on the bus and she would kind of tell me stories about ancient Egypt and Loch Ness and all kind of things. Some of them kind of made up just for my own amusement being so young, but others had kind of little bits of truth within them as well, so... Loch Ness was something I, I clung on to from a kind of young age, yeah. I bet, absolutely. And what a place to live in, having that be so close to you. Is there like a favorite story about it that was told to you that you'd like to share? Mm, uh, first off, when you say close, I think that would be relative. Like, I think close where you live would be a good few hours. Like, where, where I lived in Glasgow, it was like a four-hour drive to Inverness, which is just near where Loch Ness is. 
but for us that's quite far but I think it's, it's kind of relative yeah it was it always seemed unattainable to get to when you're so young but I, I did manage to get there once I, I think for me it's just the how long the kind of myth managed to live on for and, and even now it's, it's maybe something that's been on the back burner in more recent years and it maybe hit its peak in the early 90s I think it was 1996 we had a Ted Danson of Cheers fame came over to, to Scotland and filmed a movie called Loch Ness I ah. think it might have been called um, Nessie in America it was quite low budget but um, it was quite big in Scotland so that was probably when it had its peak that's cool I didn't know I love Cheers by the way that's such a good show <laughs> sometimes so I just you'll, you'll like it then I will have to check it out for sure. And I like Ted Danson. He's a cool dude. So, no, that's neat. So you've been there once before. You said, how was it just being there? Like, describe the scene, if you will. Uh, the area is beautiful. Like, it's, you know, a, a lot of Harry Potter films, I suppose, if you're if you're not familiar with Scotland. There's a lot of Harry Potter film there when it's got the castles in the backgrounds. There's been a Dan Brown, was it the Da Vinci Code, I think. Some of that was filmed in Scotland too. So mm. there's a lot of really beautiful scenery, especially the further north you travel in the country. Um, and when you get to Loch Ness, it's I think the scale of the place is, is amazing. It was it's so, so, so big. And it's I think it's, it's still it's the largest body of fresh water in the planet. And I always remember when I was younger, even I think I was about seven or eight when I started really getting into like Loch Ness and ancient Egypt and UFOs and whatnot. Um, it's... You could fit every man, woman, and child in the lock three times over and still have room. So that's that's how big big it is and how deep it is. So it is a bit magical, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place, beautiful scenery, and I would love to go back. Yeah, sounds like it. I I've always wanted to go. So much history there, and just so much beauty. I I just couldn't imagine if I ever went there. I think I would just be blown away. <laughs> Yeah, do you know what? I think I take it for granted. Like we're very lucky. I, I live just in the north, the north of England now, about uh, two and a half hours, three hours from Glasgow, and that's probably now about six or seven hours away from from where Loch Ness is situated. And I do a lot of regular travelling back and forward to Scotland. And even my wife, who, who's English, she she comments on the scenery and how amazing and beautiful it is, and the fields and the hills, even when the weather's not nice. You get rolling clouds over the top of the hills, and in the summer it's a beautiful drive as well. So mm. it's definitely something that that should be visited, especially if you can make the trip over when you know when planes are allowed back in the air. Right, and I just have to say that I think it's really cool that you're only two and a half hours away from where you're from. You know, so you can go back and forth. For instance, I'm in North Carolina at the moment part-time, but I'm from Colorado, which is close to 2,000 miles away, and and I go a few times a year driving, but man, I would kill for just a two-and-a-half-hour drive over 27 hours. <laughs> yeah, I think for most people in the UK, like we would consider that quite a long commute, um, whether you're Scottish or English, but... Um, we're used to much smaller drives and distances. I think for me, I've done it so many times now, though. I go back and forward to watch football or soccer, as you would call it. Um, so it's, it's something that's just ingrained in the back of my in my mind, the drive. I, I know like particular trees. I look at farmhouses that are up for sale, and you remember from months or that place is still for sale. Or, or look at that field. They're just landmarks you remember because you've done the drive so many times. But it never makes it any less special. It's a really, really nice drive. Yeah, I bet. I could only imagine. Now, Andy, you yourself, you're going to be hopping on the old podcast train. And when will it be available, your podcast? And talk a little bit about what your podcast will be about. 
So uh, my primary interest, really, like yourself, with all things paranormal, uh, is UFOs, aliens, uh, UAP is the more common term used nowadays. Um, it's called That UFO Podcast. Genius name, I know. Uh, <laughs> and j- just in looking, it's it's a topic where there's a lot of podcasts about it, but there's so few that I manage to listen to that have what I want to hear on them or even like my opinion so there's some that I really really enjoy and I won't want to name them to um, but some really big ones that I think their their opinions are a bit skewed and it's not what I want to hear so in searching for that podcast I thought why not make one myself it's it's popular these days people like yourself have, you've got into it you're not new to it I think you've got what 60 or 70 episodes recorded yeah so you're, you're kind of well into the game now so I'm about to kind of step my foot in the water I think this kind of whole lockdown situation gave me a chance to build a little bit of an office outside my house. When I say built, I, I cleaned out an old shedding. That that was pretty much the extent of it. So built's maybe a strong word, but it's kind of gave me a chance to, to get on. It's more of a hobby than anything right now. I'm hoping. Um, I've got a few guests lined up already. I don't want to name them. Um, they've been on quite a few shows themselves anyway, but um, I've had kind of contact with those. One of them was on the USS Nimitz that had a pretty famous encounter Ooh. six years ago that's been well documented so I've managed to get that lined up already and I have British guest as well who will be coming on uh, one of my early episodes who was a photograph analyst for the military and he's done a lot of analysis on UFO images kind of past and present to give his opinion and again it's all very much taken with you know a sceptical eye you know because he's not scared like myself to call something out and say that doesn't look realistic that looks like a drone that looks like a like a satellite that you know we don't jump on everything as that's a ufo that's an alien it's you know that that could be something and can i take it from there so i'm really looking forward to to getting things started off oh that sounds terrific and that's awesome that you have like that many amazing guests already lined up and ready to go it is fun having a podcast and it's just neat being so passionate about something and being able to just talk about it you know yeah it was something my wife told me um, a couple of months ago. I came home from work one night, and we'll talk about later on, like, a UFO encounters, but I, I saw something one evening on the way home from work, and when I came home and I was talking to her about it, and I actually called her when I saw it, and she, I just remember her looking at me. It's not a topic she's particularly interested in as such. Um, nothing, Not that she doesn't believe, but she, she kind of just looks at me and smiles like it's something you love, so that's great. And she says, she said to me at the time, you know, you can tell how passionate you are when you talk about it. You should do something involving it. So this is my kind of foray into that area. That's awesome. And we're going to talk about those encounters here in a few minutes. But I have to say that that's how my boyfriend is, too, with the paranormal. He, unlike your wife, who probably believes in it, he does not. He's a huge hardened skeptic. But he really he loves the fact that I have a passion and you know that I'm so interested in it and he kind of smiles too he's just kind of like okay you know you do your thing whatever it is neat that like you said like that guest and yourself it's good to debunk stuff we do it in the paranormal field all the time and why not do it with UFOs too it's like no wait I know what that is that's not you know some UFO or you know or some other flying object that we can't say what it is this is a satellite or this is something else and so no it's definitely good because not everything's paranormal and not everything's going to be supernatural either so now and i'll let people know andy when it is available let me know and i will yeah absolutely my pleasure it's great to see people succeed and i'll look forward to listening to your podcast as well now awesome andy there are many famous documented cases when it comes to unidentified flying objects 
cases from all over the globe. Which case is your favorite? So I, I used to have like a, a nailed-on favorite until pretty recently. If you'll divulge me and just mention in two, then at least. Uh, so the first one would be the Phoenix Lights case. I don't know if that's something you've you've heard about or you're familiar with. I think I've heard it a while back, but please share what that is. So in March 1997, uh, Phoenix, Arizona had a, a case of over a, over several nights. Actually, the whole city, tens of thousands of people witnessed, videoed, photographed um, a series of lights flying in formation over the city. Not only did they see them flying on this kind of mass scale and record it and have lots of footage, um, they sat hovering in the distance as well for quite some time. Now, at the time, there was a lot of debunking done that it was uh, military flares. But again, any even novice looking at it, and I would never claim to be an expert, but when, when you see a flare, they, they drop, but they keep moving. They don't hover in midair and then come back the following night and stay there and then travel at speed across the city. So that's pretty amazing. The main thing for me is that there's a lot of sightings like that, but for me it's the sheer scale of the sighting that tens of thousands of people saw this, that it was on local news. It was on, again, not living there. I was only 9 or 10 at the time. But in the US, it was on quite a lot of uh, news stations across the country. So uh, for me, it's, it's great, but it's also a, a good example of a really frustrating part of ufology that so many people can see something that while it's not a, it's not the UFO landing on the White House lawn that everyone always talks about when it comes to disclosure or you know finding the truth, but here's a pretty solid case for yeah, that's that's definitely something, and yet it just went away, and it's it's so niche now to the field that it's not really something that's talked about or. That's something that scientists should have got involved in and people at the time to really discuss and say that there is something else out there and we've seen this in a, in a huge, huge scale and short of something landing and waving at us you know, from a window, you're not going to get much better than that. So the Phoenix Lights is, for me is a pretty incredible case. Yeah, I would say so. And I now that you talked about it, I, I did see that on one of the paranormal shows about the Phoenix Lights. Yeah, there's just no way to debunk that. And that was for, you said, several days, right? Yeah, but it was over a couple of nights. And it's funny, when you mentioned debunking, the governor, or the, the then governor, uh, Fife Symington was his name, he famously at the time held a news conference where they said they had the culprit and people expected someone to be brought in and they famously brought in someone dressed as a, as a stereotypical grey alien with a spacesuit and a big head. And all the journalists in the room laughed at the time and he declared that people were taking themselves far too seriously and made a bit of a joke of it. And there's been documentaries he's appeared on since where he's totally gone back on that and claimed that, one, it ruined his political career because so many of the locals that voted for him realised, you're not taking us seriously, we know what we saw. Um, and he's actually gone back to say himself that he saw it and he admits he, his wording is that it would be otherworldly. So, again, it was pressure put on him at the time to, to kind of debunk and laugh it off, which is generally what's done with the subject and the topic. And I'm sure you get the same when you talk about the paranormal and ghosts and exorcisms and whatnot, that oh, you get yeah. the laughs and the sneers and maybe a lack of understanding with it. But you, you get used to that, I think, in the, in the field. Yeah, you do. You know, I used to waste my time and try to talk until I was blue in the face about the paranormal with skeptics and some of them they'll turn you know some some of them are open-minded and stuff but there's some that things can happen right in front of their eyes and they're just kind of like oh that's the wind it's like um no it couldn't be more of a stiller day you know (laughs) 
you're right. You do get used to it. And I just don't waste my time anymore. And that's okay. But I always just say like, you know, this podcast is for people who are fans of the paranormal, who have investigated it, who want to know more. And for even the debunkers and skeptics out there, if anything, for entertainment purposes. That's the beauty, though. We There's so many people out there who believe and others who don't. And that's okay. We're all different. And that's great. But yeah, I definitely have always been a believer of the paranormal, supernatural. Do you know what's amazing about it as well? And wh- whether it's something in, in the field that you're interested in, or it's ufology, or whatever you follow, that there's thousands of cases, and they could all be all be debunked or explained or um you know that was this that was this and it was nothing special it only takes one and then that that's it it's just that one one proof that smoking gun if you want to call it and that explains it all because if you've got ten thousand videos and only one of them's a an alien spacecraft or one of them's a, a ghost or one of them's a demon that's it then that there's the proof the rest don't matter it's literally just that one but it's trying to get that one that goes out to the mainstream the media and kind of pushes the the cause forward i suppose absolutely i couldn't agree more with you now andy <laughs> area 51 what are your thoughts on area 51 so again this is something that's came to right back into the spotlight with uh, bob lazar recently who is famously a whistleblower who was on the tv in the the late 80s and was the first person to come out and talk about this this mysterious area in nevada known as, as area 51 and at the time, it was done by really famous now journalist George Knapp, who, who does a show on Coast to Coast AM and has been involved in a lot of documentaries and To the Stars Academy recently. Bob Lazar came out years later as the face behind the shadow and put his name to it and said, I worked there, there's records. Um, I worked on back engineering extraterrestrial spacecraft. He talked about an area known as S3 or Groom Lake, which again, at the time, no one knew anything about. It wasn't on any maps. There was no Google Maps at the time either. And again, that's an area we now know to exist. He talked about an element that at the time wasn't in our periodic table. Again, that was something that was laughed at. We now have that element in our periodic table. And while there's a lot of a story that maybe at times doesn't fully add up or there's a lot of issues with, there's a lot to it that makes it really intriguing and really interesting. So for me, Area 51 is definitely... It might not be somewhere now where there is as much going on as maybe in the past, but I think it's definitely had its point in time where there's been kind of extraterrestrial activity there. They've definitely had crafts of some sort, and more than likely at one point they've they've had bodies as well. I think just there's so much mystery behind Area 51, you know, and just the unknown. And I think people just, so many are just dying to get in there and to see what it's all about. But if you had full access, which I know that would never, ever, ever happen, nobody would. But if there was a point in time that you ever had full access to Area 51, what would you do first? So I think I would have to go in and find the nearest elevator and just see how far down you can go because there's so many rumours of it's not what's above the ground but what's maybe under the ground Mm. or what's in the mountains that would be of most interest. I I would love to find someone high up and speak to them and just have that that one time I could sit down and say, do you know what, no one's ever going to find out. You can do the whole men in black, wipe my memory, Will Smith trick after this, but, (laughs) you know, tell me what happened, Tell, tell me what goes on here, what went on here. Roswell, the most famous incident of all time and what kind of kick-started everything in in 1947, you know what happened, what was brought here and you know, 
really try and find out what happened there. I'd love to also kind of go at night time as well, because that's something you see in Jerry McCorbell, who's a documentary filmmaker, had a Bob Lazar documentary out quite recently all about Area 51 and his experiences. And there's footage of a young Bob Lazar going out at night time and basically telling his group of friends he was with at this time, at this location, we're going to see some crafts taken off and being experimented with. And sure enough, at that time, he's there with a, a really old camcorder that's time-stamped. And you see these strange lights taking off and flying about and landing. So, again, I'd love to kind of hang about there at night time and, and see what goes on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that would kind of be neat to go during the day and go at night and to see what it's all about, like you said. And you brought up a good point. Talk to the people who are there who are very knowledgeable when it comes to Area 51 and know exactly, you know, everything about it. And then (laughs) wipe my memory. I don't care, you know, but that would be so neat. But I guess it's just one of like life mysteries, you know, like the Holy Grail. (laughs) That's it. Or, or if we get the whole situation that happens on Independence Day where we get invaded one day and they have to open it up, then, you know, maybe they'll start doing museum tours of it in the future once we know the truth. So once the, once the truth's out there, as the X-Files famously said, uh, there's no reason to hide a secret. So you never know. We might get there one day. Well, and like you said, whistleblowers and like, you know, little bits of information here and there makes you makes you think for sure. But Andy, you it's know... the dream. Yeah, right. Seriously. You yourself had had a couple encounters with the unknown, with UFOs. I'm really intrigued, and I want to hear more about them. So talk about these two experiences, if you will. So, you know, actually, in in speaking to my mom last night, which was going to be the first one, she reminded me of one that happened when I was even younger. Mm. But I I do kind of remember as well. So very quickly, like, we we left my grands one night, who, who lived in Glasgow, quite near to where we stayed. And my dad took off in the car and he noticed a, a high-rise tower block. Um, there was a light hovering quite high up, but it was like outside the window. And this would have been the very early 90s, like 1990, 1991 at the latest. And he actually followed the light that evening in the car until he lost it and couldn't follow it anymore just due to the height and the speed it kind of got away. So that was something that always kind of, it was kind of distant memory, but my my mum reminded me of that one last night. So there's nothing more to it than we saw a light that shouldn't have been there. It was was too low down to be an aircraft, you know, and it kind of flew away. But that that takes me on to like what my first and probably the best one, to be honest, I remember it so clearly. And this is, that brings up a really good point. Um, There was a group of five of us there. And like you say, people like my mum who, really doesn't believe in in the whole paranormal or you know alien experience or ufo saw this standing next to me and even now she'll talk about it yeah but totally dismisses what what it was or what it could have been and it, so basically we, we left i used to go to a group like the boys brigade which is a bit like the scouts and i left there one evening it was a kind of cold winter night it was 1996 and we were, were walking a short distance from the, the church where they held the, the kind of boys' brigade and walking back home. And when, when you cross the road where we were, it's a, about a stretch of road, about three quarters of a mile long, with a bit of a bend in it. And at the end of that road is a bit of a junction. And you can see right along, and it was a really clear night. And at the end of the road, like if you looked right into the distance, there were some trees and some houses. And just behind that, a kind of sports recreation centre. Now, it must have been about nine o'clock at night, so it was totally pitch black, stars in the sky. But what would have been on the field, it looked like there was a huge Ferris wheel, like a big wheel from a carnival. But it was tilted. 
30, 40 degrees on its side and was spinning at the most incredible speed. Like, if, if you if this was a ride in a fun fair and you were on this, you'd have been dead. Uh, you know, this was like the, the centrifugal force, I think they call it, would have, would have killed you. Like, so this thing was like massive, had wow. these huge lights and was really low down. It was like, and this is a really quite populated area. So a lot of people would have saw this and there was five of us in the group. Um, and my mum and my, my friend's mum saw it as well at the time. And I remember they, they kind of commented, like, wow, look at that. What could that be? But that was it. And I remember standing looking at this thing like, I mean, that's like a UFO. That's that's incredible. Like, what could that be? And we kind of looked at it for a couple of seconds and then just went home. And I remember being a bit scared being so young. And again, I lived in a high-rise tower block of flats uh, in Glasgow. And if I had went up to the flat and went out on the back balcony, we could have looked down and saw that area really, really clearly. But I never did. And I always wish that I had. Not that it would have still been there, but whatever this thing was, was really clear. It was low down. It was almost on the, the football field, but just spinning at this incredible speed on its side. So that was probably the best one I've ever had. Yeah, I got chills when you were just talking about that and just describing it. That's neat the way you described it, like a Ferris wheel, so people could kind of see it in their minds. But yeah, yeah that is wild. And that's great that, that so many people saw it because it's like if it was just you then you know what you saw. But when you try to explain it to other people, they might be like, oh, no way. Well, it's like, no, there are actually several people who saw this, not just me, you know. And and then you yeah. have people that you could share it with who saw what you saw. And no, that's that's incredible, Andy. That's an incredible encounter. But it comes with that frustration, though, like you mentioned earlier, that you've got someone else who saw that. But my mom just totally dismisses that it could have been anything extraterrestrial alien untoward even though she has no explanation for what it was or what it could have been her her demeanor with it is just to no it wasn't anything but i suppose there's an element of this this whole phenomenon and any phenomenon like this that if people don't understand it or maybe don't want to understand it because it is something quite incredible and i think the more people like ourselves are really interested and and follow these fields it's much easier to comprehend and if you see something you know it might still be incredible and scary but you you want to see it and it's vindication for what you kind of believe in and everything you've read and everything you've seen you want to see that yourself so you can understand when you hear someone else's story or someone else's point of view you have to still be skeptical because without seeing it yourself there's never that 100% of truth. But yeah, when you see it and you're with other people, it's it's always something I can kind of go back to. So so that was a pretty amazing one. Absolutely. And that was beautifully said because, yeah, there's sometimes where, you know, it's like, well, maybe this person isn't, isn't like a closed-minded skeptic, but maybe there's just certain things that they can't comprehend that they don't want to know about, you know, that it scares them. So it's better just yeah. to write it off as like, oh, that was something else, you know? And I'm not saying every skeptic yeah. is scared, but I'm just saying, like, maybe in your mom's case, it was intimidating. Maybe she was just like, God, I don't I don't want to imagine what that could have been, you know? Like, what could that have been? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's world-changing, it's view-changing, and depending on... I'm not religious in any way, but it's it changes it changes so much when and that's a whole other debate for another time I think. But as as soon as something like this becomes you know factual and you know clear proof that yet yeah, there's extraterrestrial life in the universe or a more recent thing that's been talked about by Tom DeLong and To the Stars Academy and um, formerly of Blink One Eight Two, which has its own issues, um, even though they're a great band, uh, is ultra terrestrials and you know are there other beings that are on this planet that have been here before us and they're either 
in the sky um, under the ground and even more maybe fanciful but if you're a fan of the Marvel movies and you saw Black Panther and the, the concept of somewhere like Wakanda where there's a whole other city or populace on this planet hidden away that we can't see but they're just so far advanced more more than us technically that they exist here you, you just can't comprehend that just now it's too it's too amazing but these are all theories that you never know and until you know whatever it's going to be is going to be incredible and hopefully that day sooner rather than later we kind of find these things out a little bit before we end andy is there anything you wanted to share research wise that you've done so for me it's just a case of like i'm really lucky where i live and it's just people to have a bit of a open mind and there's so much you can see that when you look up into the kind of night sky where i live it's really close to an area conservation area Mm. So there's less light pollution than you would have in a big city. And I'm not too sure what North Carolina is like or, or Colorado, but when it's nighttime here, you can see a lot more of the sky than you can in most other parts of the country. And again, it's just familiarising yourself that if you take the time to look up on a clear night, you will see things in the sky. And then you start to train yourself a little bit on, you know, that's a satellite. And famously, Elon Musk recently has um, launched Starlink satellites into the sky. So there's, even recently, the last couple of weeks, there's been a huge explosion in UFO sightings on Twitter. Logan Paul, who I'm not a fan of, but again, he's a massive personality, massive YouTuber. He just put a video online a few, night, a few nights ago of what could be a meteor, it could be a satellite, or it could be, you know, a UFO. Um, but again, there's, it's becoming more and more into the, the forefront. So for me, it's just having people, you know, have a look in the sky. Mobile phones are getting better. We've all got cameras on us all the time. And yep, you might be the next person with that kind of shaky hand cam footage or something in the sky. But the more of these things that people kind of get online with and get on board with and look at into companies like To The Stars Academy. Again, there's an expedition. It's UAP expeditions that are going to Antarctica soon that are going to be doing some research there. So I think that's the kind of next fields that we have to be getting into, that more mainstream government and mainstream science are acknowledging these phenomena as being something that they have studied in the past. They are relevant and there is something to it. And I think that's a huge step forward from kind of where we've been. So again, it's it's coming more and more to the forefront, and it's a kind of it's it's an exciting time. I'm kind of looking forward to kind of what comes next. Absolutely, that's very cool. And just to give you an idea, the skies in Colorado are just phenomenal, especially where if you're depending where you're at. Like my mom, she lives on a ranch where you have to get you know it's accessible only by dirt road and it's up in the mountains and you just see the stars at their finest and there's a lot of activity in Colorado and in New Mexico it's next door neighbor and even in uh, this little town called Monta Vista past that in Colorado is like an observation area to and they even have like little fake ufos and aliens on the ground but they have this area on top where you could look and in new mexico obviously there's so much going on but in north carolina actually it was a few months ago my boyfriend and i we were sitting in the car and we were in this parking lot and it was dark and there was there wasn't much cars around or anything we were just looking straight ahead and all of a sudden this green light up in the sky we're just looking at the stars and stuff and this green light all of a sudden appears and starts coming down streaming and you could see like it wasn't like a it wasn't fireworks or anything it was just so hard to explain but we're like what was that was that like a like was that a meteor like what what was that but yeah 
it's just it was really neat it's like hard to explain and i hate that we didn't have a video camera going because you know a picture you wouldn't have been able to take it because it was so quick but it wasn't a shooting star it wasn't anything like that it's just one of those things where like i don't know what that was what was that <laughs> and you know what you, you make an amazing point again tessa like and that was something i missed off before there was there was one more recent encounter that i had where like I was driving home from work and it was a, a back road and again there's a lot of fields uh, near where I stay so I was kind of taking a back ro- road home to avoid all the, the busy traffic that kind of highway motorway traffic and I noticed just before I kind of turn off on the road there was two kind of lights sitting in the sky and it's it's rel- relatively near an airport so at first glance you look and it's, ah, it's just two lights in the sky but having the interest I have and kind of get my mind immediately wanders and I look back up a second later and the two lights are still kind of sitting and they've not moved and then I got much closer and noticed a van had pulled over on the side of the road and the guy driving the van was, was sitting at his window looking out and up at the sky and it was pitch black it was kind of at the end of winter and I noticed as I basically drove underneath the two lights were, were, were joined together in a black triangle but you wouldn't have seen this black triangle had the lights not been there to kind of make it out within the sky itself. And I had my phone on me, and I had a camera, and my first thought wasn't to film it. And I think that's something people people ask me that I mentioned it to. Well, why didn't you take a picture? Why didn't you film it? Well, one, I was driving, and I, I couldn't really pull in. Right. I actually pulled in at the near the end of the road to do a U-turn and come back round, because it's quite a busy road, particularly that time of night. And as I looked in my mirror, the two lights were moving diagonally to the right and another light had came on at what would be the front of the triangle and was flashing really, really quickly but intermittently stopping. And the way it moved, it just moved diagonally and off and really slowly over the treetops. It must have been 100 feet in the air, maybe a little bit more, but not much more than that. And by the time I managed to drive back along what would have taken me 10 seconds, I I backtracked on myself, it was gone. So if that had been a plane or a light aircraft, which it definitely wasn't, because I drove under it and you could make it out and, you know, I I kept an eye on it, it would have still been there. There would have been signs of it. This thing was totally gone. Um, So that was a more recent one. But for me, I I wish I'd filmed it. I wish I'd taken a picture. But when the situation comes up, it really isn't, even though you think it would be the first thing to, I should film it or take a picture of it. It just just happens and you kind of get stuck in the moment a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I can totally understand that. Yeah, absolutely. It is frustrating, but it's like one of those things where it's like, I know what I saw with my eyes and no one can take that away yeah. from me. But it's like, I wish I could like kind of go back and look through it and stuff. But it, it's kind of ingrained there in the old brain, I think. Yep. Absolutely. You can only hope you see it again. Yes, absolutely. Now, Andy, before we end, just one more time, say what the name of your podcast is going to be. So people know what to look for. Sure. So it's That UFO Podcast. So That UFO Podcast. I was going to go with That Scottish UFO Podcast, you know, given the accent and my background, but I I dropped the Scottish out of it. Um, If people want to follow me on Twitter, my handle just now is um, UFO, UAP. That's UFO, Unidentified Flying Object, UAP, Unidentified um, Aerial Phenomenon, AM. Um, and that's on Twitter, and there's some information and videos I share on there as well. So, and I love interacting with people like yourself that are interested in all kinds of uh, weird and wonderful paranormal um, areas. So, so yeah, that would be great. Anything people could get in touch with, I would, I would appreciate. And when the show finally comes out in a few weeks' time, uh, any feedback would be greatly appreciated. My pleasure. Well, Andy, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate your time, and I had a great time chatting with you. 
No, me too. Thank you. And thanks to the listeners for putting up with me for half an hour. (laughs) What a neat, friendly guy. Andy was a blast to talk to. And again, guys, I will let you know when his podcast is up and running and you'll have to definitely check it out. Join me and we'll listen to it together. Huge shout out for Andy for being on Paranormal Prowlers podcast. You know, I've said it several times before, UFOs, aliens, they scare me. But they also fascinate me, and I love hearing about other people's encounters and experiences, like the Ferris wheel-looking thing that Andy saw going at crazy speeds. Like, that's mind-blowing. I could see it in my head. I don't know if you can, but to me, that's phenomenal and fantastic. And it's neat when something like a sighting happens and leaves the person, not terrified like me, but like our friend Andy, wanting more, demanding more. It's awesome talking with people like him that have spent much of their lives researching the extraterrestrial. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are equally phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No! No need to cry, my amazing friends. Just head over to any podcast platform, such as CastBox, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, basically wherever you roam to listen to your other awesome podcasts, you'll surely find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Want a reminder of when the newest episode is available for your listening pleasure? Subscribe now. New episodes come out every single Monday. Haven't missed one yet. This week's city shoutouts. Go out to Camino, California, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Middletown, Connecticut, Erlanger, Kentucky, and Melbourne, Australia. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Each of you rock, and it's greatly appreciated. See you next week. And remember to keep an eye out in the skies. It might not be a planet. It might not be stars. It might be something else.